Hello, my name is Declan Devine. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another, games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's show is Shalesh Prabhu. He is the creative director of Yellow Monkey Studios. And he has uh, a terrific story, basically. Like, I mean, I don't like I don't make games. I'm just a, a big fan of games. This is why I started doing the the show. Um, but one of the the things I find so like so fascinating and so inspiring in many ways about people who who make games, and certainly people who go off and make their own studios, is how much of a gamble that can be. You know how how much especially in this day and age, you know, and I, I felt it myself doing the podcast to a, a much lesser degree. Um, discoverability is so tricky. So to kind of put everything on the line into this passion project and to see it through, and you'll, you'll hear from uh, uh, Shalash's story, like how far they got as a studio before things went terribly wrong. Like not, not terribly, terribly wrong, but just such a, a crushing disappointment to keep going after that and still continually be excited and inspired is it's an amazing chat um and also like the fact that that he's from india and he grew up in india that this is one of the things that i was most excited about when i started the show is being able to speak to people from you know different countries and different generations and and learn how their kind of relationship with games uh, is completely different to mine, you know, and, and how the, the the world has sort of shaped their experiences, essentially. Like, for instance, there was no uh, official release of any Nintendo consoles, so his first experience of playing Mario was on a, a Chinese knockoff called the Samurai. The Samurai! Like, what a cool name. I mean, I'm sure Nintendo wouldn't be too thrilled with it. It's maybe a bit too kind of warlike. Um, but it's, yeah, brilliant, fascinating, really good chat. I hope you, uh, I hope you enjoy it. As always, if you if you do, um, please do rate and review on iTunes and uh, tweet about it, tell your friends, all that good stuff. One thing I, I realized recently, it's not a huge deal, but when you rate and review shows, um, it's different for different countries. I don't know if people, like I certainly didn't know this. So like I've got a bunch of ratings and reviews if I go to the UK store. If I go to the US store, I've got nothing. So if you're American, rate and review. I mean, you don't have to. Um, but if you like it, it would be really hugely appreciated. Uh, if you want to get in touch, it's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or forward slash checkpoints show on Twitter or forward slash checkpoints podcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Um, you can follow me if you like. It's at Declan Deneen, D-E-C-L-A-N-D-I-N-E-N. Um, okay. Um... Sorry, I'm, I'm, my brain is a bit dead today. It was a, a wedding a few days ago, so I'm extraordinarily hungover. Um, this isn't relevant to the show at all because this was recorded ages ago, but, um, well, you know, give you a little bit of personal insight. Uh, so I'm going to be quite, you know, emotionally fragile come Monday. So every kind of rating and review and tweets is going to make me feel better. So you're doing a humanitarian good. Anyway, let's go on with the show. Shellish. Yeah. Shellish. Yeah. Shellish. Yeah. Welcome uh, to the show. Thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me, firstly. Um, my name is uh, Shellish Prabhu, and I'm a game designer from uh, India. Um, I have a small two man studio there called Yellow Monkey, and we've been making games for about 10 years now and um, the most somewhat successful games we made are uh, Hubrix and Sociable both for iOS and uh, both are puzzle games um, yeah I guess is there anything else uh, is there anything else in particular you sh I should say no no not at all we will 
fully okay. uh, get into all the the details. But you're currently in Copenhagen, right? Yeah, I'm currently here in Copenhagen. I'm working with a studio called uh, Cape Copenhagen. Okay. Um, on a music game that they're working on right now. So, it's, I, uh, uh, music music games are probably my favorite genre. Oh, really? So then, I'm very excited about that. Nice. I should totally send you a sneak peek test build then. What sort of <laughs> genre is it? Like, without you, if if you're allowed to talk about it, even but. Uh, it's the game. I mean, they have shown the game previously uh, okay. at at an event. Uh, it's called The Gentleman, and it's like a rhythm game with characters and storyline and everything. So, I was literally like, I was talking to somebody about this a few days ago, and how, like, I I really love music games. For me, the perfect game that has never existed would be uh, a full blown video game musical. Right, so it it play a little bit like like a bayonetta or something, so like a third person action game. But oh my it god! Would, it would entirely be instead of you know choreographing fighting moves, it would be choreographing dance moves. And like in Space Channel Five, if you do it correctly, they join in with you, and then the the whole musical number builds through the level. That would just be the best. And there's so like Space Channel Five and Guitaru Man and uh, uh, Parappa the Rapper are probably the only three examples of that kind of thing so i'm very excited that you've got a story-based music game yes actually if you like this that this game would be perfectly like right up your alley and we're trying to get some uh bits of all of these games but also try to make it accessible to people who are currently into music games and just try and uh do something fun it would be nice to uh, i don't know I, if i can send you a build and stuff but i will check with the guys and maybe with the team and uh, if they're open to have a closed beta or something maybe I, 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 I have a, a terrible laptop so it's likely i may, <laughs> it may not even be able to run it but uh, uh, absolutely i'd be thrilled to have a look at it though. absolutely yeah totally nice but uh, yeah it's still fairly early in development so don't expect anything <laughs> <laughs> i want it now I play video <laughs> games. I want everything right now. Um, so we're... Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show at all, or like the format of the show, but it's basically like talking about how games have affected your life, basically, through through your entire mm-hmm. life. So the, the perfect place to usually start would be uh, what, if you can remember, what was your very first experience of a video game? Uh, it's... My very first first video game that I played. Well, if if I if I do also count console games. Uh, <laughs> if, if you count I mean, console games. I mean, if, then uh, the very first would be like uh, um, we never really had uh, NES in India, but we had like uh, cheap like Chinese knockoffs of NES. Okay. And they also played all the NES games. So I think the first game I played was Super Mario. And that was on a Chinese knockoff called the Samurai. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then it was a bunch of those games before I got my Sega Mega Drive. And I was super keen on playing all the Mega Drive games. and, uh, And was that like an official release? Yeah, that was an official release, and I got that one, and I got totally sucked into Mortal Kombat, and <laughs> yeah, that was that was it. Um, yeah, this is quite interesting. I spoke to um, previously on the show. One of my guests was uh, Meg Jayanth, who she was the writer for Eighty Days. Did you, did you play Eighty Days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she grew up in in India for a while, and that was very. The, the, her experience of it was very similar where there was a lot of kind of knockoffs but then for some reason the mega drive was like a thing yeah that, that, that became a, a big deal so was was there much of a a community around games when you're growing up or was it just something you did yourself there wasn't so much a community but i do remember that um uh every like we we always had like neighborhood friends, like people who would stay in the same apartment complex and like in neighboring buildings, they would all just play together. So everyone would end up going to each other's houses for lunch or something and then continue playing on the Mega Drive or on 
whatever Nintendo knockoffs till late evening and then go outside and play. And that was like pretty much every day in the summer's uh, holidays. So usually people didn't end up having both. Uh, and uh, maybe one person would have it and then six people would gather at his house and end up playing, taking turns playing the game. And um, it was it was fairly common. Uh, apart from that, some there were some arcade kind of places where you could go and rent uh, a television with one of these systems uh, for an hour or two hours for not too unreasonable a price. So many a times we would end up doing that. And would that still just be like the Mega Drive and the NES though? Uh, yeah, it would also, uh, I mean, you had both options. It was either NES knockoffs or Mega Drive or uh, the Sega CD. Or so yeah, like that, that's what I was wondering. Like, was there, would would there have been any kind of magazines or like, would you, would you have been aware of like the broader potential of games like home computers and um, like arcades? Like, would you have had access to, to that? Um, not so much. Like I remember that there were very few arcades in India when I was growing up, um, but there were some. So I do remember playing Pac-Man on an arcade machine way back when I was very, very young. Uh, but um, I also got my first computer when I was like uh, 13 years old. And that came with Wolf pre-installed on it, which was definitely not a legal copy. <laughs> <laughs> what, what computer was it? Was it just like an early PC? Yeah, it was an early Windows PC, and it was like uh, like assembled from spare parts, like not, not like a branded computer. Okay. That, that was fairly common back in the day, and it actually still is, like, more people get, because it's cheaper to buy a, uh, an assembled PC in India than to buy a branded PC, so a lot of people end up going for that. Yeah, I mean, I just I always find it interesting how different, what different countries have access to, because I know, like, especially for a lot of Americans, like, they have no concept of the Amiga, which was, like, a huge part of, like, growing up. Um, yeah like that that specific and they, they, it's just this 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 huge gap so it's always interesting to hear the differences so what what was wolf did that have some sort of impact on oh, you yeah it was uh, wolfenstein 3d oh, okay okay sorry that's just your yeah yeah, yeah. clearly you spent a lot of time with the game you have a nickname it, for it. <laughs> yeah it's just like this uh uh it was pre-installed on pretty much every computer back in those days. So anyone who had a computer would end up having Wolfenstein installed on it. And it was fun. <laughs> but was there, like, did you... um, Like, was there a community of people, like, did you make friends through video games and stuff, or was it just something that everybody did? Uh, I think it was more like uh, like you made you played with friends rather than actually making friends through the game. So you would, I mean, the community aspect was not very strong because uh, it wasn't very, um, it wasn't like everybody had these consoles or computers and then they would have fan clubs or something like that. What happened instead was people would go to school and tell their friends that, oh, hey, you know what, I have this thing and why don't you come over and play? So. Uh, it was more like a social activity in the sense that friends would get together and play. Like, yeah. But yeah. So w would you, um, were there any sort of magazines? Like uh, this is another thing that's a big thing for a lot of, especially sort of um, uh, British and American people growing up was that the magazines always, that's where you'd find out about all the crazy Japanese games and stuff like, did you have anything like that? No, nothing at all. We, only found out new games by going to the local store and seeing what was new there. And whatever they got was our extent of knowledge at the time. <laughs> so what, like, clearly there was something in them that, you know, you've, you've gone on to pursue a career in it. So yeah. do you remember, like, when you first sort of felt like this is something, not necessarily something you could do, but just something that you really loved, like it was a real special thing for you? 
Yeah, I, 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 I think that's very clear for me. Like there was this one point, like when my uh, uncle who was living in the U.S., he got uh, me uh, Day of the Tentacle, the game, and I was, I was playing. And up to that point, I didn't know what I was thinking. I was a stupid kid, I guess. But there's this beautiful credit sequence in the beginning of Day of the Tentacle, and I was like, oh wait, people get paid to make games <laughs> i, I want to do that and oh weird so it was just because the credits were up the front and you saw that it was yeah. like oh, people did this yeah people oh, cool. actually do this yeah and because i mean all the other games i never really bothered i was like oh yeah i guess maybe the ones who make the computers also make the games and like i never really <laughs> bothered about what it was but i guess it was just the the way the um, the game was presented. I really loved that game. I, I played it so many times when I was a kid. So I was like, hmm, I, I really want to do this. And that was the game that made me want to make games, actually. So where, like, where did, were you sort of straight away then, like in school and stuff, trying to think about, like, where do you research? Like, where do you go from there kind of thing? Yeah, so since that was like a graphical adventure game, I, I kind of, of like um you know uh <clears throat> related the whole thing as like you know if you have to make games you have to be good at art and i tried my hand at like doing some uh art courses and i was not very good at it <laughs> but but by that time like i think i was uh, going to the 11th grade or 11th standard as we call it here and i think that time um I had more exposure to a little bit more exposure and I understood that there's programming and all the, I, I could do some very basic stuff in basic. <laughs> and uh, I realized that, okay, you know, maybe this is the, this is, this is my thing. And I took up uh, sciences and studied computer engineering. And uh, at that time I also started reading a lot more on the internet, on, on websites and stuff like that. And, figuring out what game development was about and what game design was about. And I, I was really uh, <clears throat> more into design than coding, but I could like do some scratchy prototype code. That's still what I do. I, I try to not do like proper production code. But yeah, uh, my journey was first try to get into art and then into programming and now into design. So did you do, go into programming when you went to university? Yeah, I did, yes. And what was like, was there like, this is a, a thing that comes up a lot, is people tend to, they have periods where they they leave games behind for a couple of years and then come back to it. Did you ever have that, or were you always just really into games the whole time? Oh, hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. I think uh, the wire kind of, got loose and fell off right. <laughs> okay. i will be careful to not touch it again no 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 it's fine um yeah, yeah we're having a hell of a time but no that's that's, that's totally <laughs> perfect um so yeah. when you were sort of going off to university and stuff i was wondering like did you take consoles with you like were you still or did you ever kind of just leave computing uh, leave games behind for any period of time i no, I, I didn't leave games behind. In fact, university was when I got really, really into games. And I think, uh, but it was more, I think the first two years of university was mostly just like PC gaming. And um, I think I was in my third year when I got the PS2. And that was PC and PS2. So I was really into games then but it was like this and there was one more guy in my uh in my class who was also uh into games so we would be the two nerdy weird guys always talking about games and exchanging game cds and <laughs> things like that but everyone else was like what the hell are these guys doing wasn't uh specifically game focused or anything yeah it was straight programming in fact it was pretty bad because all of our college professors didn't really get games at all and they were like this is just a waste of time you guys should be focusing on making some real software and getting a job at an it company and you know like, uh, don't, yeah forgive my ignorance here but were there um 
would there have been Indian video game companies then? Like any companies uh, making video games? When I graduated from college, there were exactly two video game companies in India, in all of India. And were and, you like, would you have been aware of them? Um, I was aware of, uh, actually, I wasn't aware of any of them at that time. But I came to know about them shortly after, like very shortly after. Um, there were three companies and I got hired by one of them. Uh, and I came to know about the other two. And yeah, that was... Um, but it wasn't like you were playing those games growing up or anything? No, because uh, so two, so one of the companies when I graduated was just starting off. They hadn't released a game back then and uh, one of them did a lot of outsourced work for uh, international clients like doing art outsourcing or a little bit of programming outsourcing okay. as well and the third company was making a game for the indian market but the game was not good at all like <laughs> it was really bad like that's a that's, that's a terrible shame <laughs> Do you yeah. think that, I mean, obviously that is going to be uh, changing and stuff, but do you think it's more now, like, taken seriously as, like, a viable thing? Uh, more than before, but I think still not so much because uh, I think, like, parents, uh, a lot of India is still very different from the rest of the world, and a lot of parents still don't know what games are and what, their impact is obviously like there are tiers in India and maybe the people who are in slightly better socioeconomic uh, conditions can understand what games are, but then talent can come from anywhere. So yeah, absolutely, there, yeah. so there's a large chunk of uh, younger people who would not be encouraged to get into something like this because their parents don't get what uh, these things are. So, like, when you're you're in university and, you know, you said you're doing this course, which wasn't really sort of geared towards game design, um, what, yeah. like, and you had this friend, obviously, who you, you shared this passion for, for games with. So, what, what were you thinking, like, you might do? Uh, we actually were just, like, trying to find out, um, just reading um, gamedev.net and Gamasutra and things like that and trying to figure out, like, if there's a way we can get uh, into the games industry, like uh, get a job or internship or something straight after college. Um, we tried writing to, I mean, getting something at, I mean, we were pretty naive back then, I guess. We did try writing to global companies here and there and like, hey, you know, this is us and we really want to do this. And we never really got a response, <laughs> but. <laughs> But I guess that's fair enough. But it, I mean, uh, eventually we uh, found uh, a company which was just getting started and they were publishing uh, a Korean MMO in India. And uh, the company was based in Philippines, but they had they were starting up an office in, in Mumbai and uh, I interviewed with them and I got a job with them. and. That was my first job in the games industry as a game master kind of thing. For four months, I was a game master at an MMO. <laughs> That's Before amazing. That. That's very exciting. So yeah, it was it was fun. Like before we leave all the uni stuff, like I'm I'm most interested in the sort of the, the type of games that that you would have been playing and and how they might have made an impact on you. So especially at this point when you're you know you're just starting to think about you know what um what sort of career you can hopefully get. So what sort of games were you playing that were like excited mm. you or changed your perceptions about games? Uh, I think some of my favorite games from university era were uh, games like, well, I still continue to play point and click adventures way into that day and age as well, like the uh, Gabriel Knight series. And uh, um, I also played uh, the Monkey Island series and uh, Grim Fandango, but I super enjoyed um, games like uh, Half-Life and uh, Quake, and I was a um, huge, I still think Thief 
is one of the finest games ever made. Like it was, it was my thing. Like I played Thief and Thief Two. I, I I can't even count how many times I played them. And sometimes I still like to go back and just like play Thief because I just felt that it was so well designed and so well. Uh, uh, it just everything just was uh, came together. I why also, do you think? Why Why do you think you love that so much? Uh, I don't know. I think. Uh, the game really works because the goals are super clear. What you can and what you can't do is very clear. And part of it also has to do with the theme of the game. Being yeah. a thief is being a thief is fairly, very self-explanatory as to what you can and what you can't do. And your expectations are already, you know, uh, set that, okay, you're a thief, you can't be seen, you can't be heard. And you, I mean, you're not a murderer, so you probably can't kill. But okay, that's like a secondary goal. So, <laughs> I mean, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the game already just came into your mind because you knew what you were expected to do. And I think that that's a super important game design lesson: is like the goal should be clear for the player yeah. uh, whenever he starts the game. So I think that really worked. And I think the game has amazing levels and what they did with sound and uh, with uh, the visibility stuff. It, it, was, uh, it was a very tight game. And did you play stuff like Quake? Was that multiplayer? Was there uh, still a community of people playing games in university? Yeah, there were people who, who would play games. Uh, there were like um, most of these college festivals would have LAN, LAN gaming festivals and we would play uh quake 3 or counter-strike and things like that were you very are you a competitive gamer no i was i was not that good <laughs> i mean there were people who were way way better than me at at this stuff i guess by this time the number of people playing games and the gaming community had probably got, grown um at least the, there were a bunch of com uh, people who would play competitively and I met most of them through the MMO that I was working for. And wow, they were really something. <laughs> is, there, is, there a, is there a game that you're like, that you get very competitive about that you're like, no, I'm very good at this. I, I will beat anyone. Mm. Or do you just not have that kind of cutthroat attitude? I don't think I have that kind of cutthroat attitude, but I think think I still like these days I do enjoy playing Towerfall and Nidhogg with my colleagues very uh, routinely and I can get fairly competitive about that <laughs> although probably I wouldn't be very good at a at a global scale or a national scale or anything but you know in in my own living room <laughs> <laughs> so like talking of the MMO actually this is another sort of good question kind of a similar sort of question that has there ever been a game um like mmos are famous for kind of taking over people's lives and stuff so have you ever played a game that you felt you needed to kind of step away from that it was affecting your life in some fashion yeah i think uh, i think mmos are are very capable of doing that and i started playing uh, the mmo that i used to work for very very regularly because it it started off as work and then it just became this obsession and also, at the same time, I was uh, uh, I tried playing Guild Wars, and it just sucked me in. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to, kind of like I haven't played MMOs since because I wanted to be sane <laughs> and not completely lose all perception of reality. Yeah, but it must have been like so. Working on it, that that seems like you're going in like. Uh, not a very high level necessarily but like you know to your first job in the industry is the game master of an mmo that must yeah. have been quite a, a shift yeah it was but uh it was also good because uh there were some people who were really experienced uh, game masters and from the uh from the parent company and uh they had some really good insight and they trained us very well so it it was it was nice uh, and we had some guidance to we weren't like just thrown in the deep end with the, because I think back when we started working there for an MMO, nobody in India had played an MMO, including us. So it was a little 
you're like what is this stuff <laughs> yeah that must so, be weird though so how how would you how do you approach that from a design standpoint that you're you're essentially designing a game that you've never played before yeah so well i think when we were working for um, for the mmo the game was still fairly done all we had to do was think of what we could change to make it more appealing for indian uh, audiences or you know oh, okay um, so it wasn't like we were doing the whole game ourselves the game was pretty much done but that's that that's somehow you know even more interesting because like what what does that even mean uh for the duration where i was there it meant that making um uh, events and quests and uh things like um yeah mostly quests and events that would help uh, indian users understand what mmos are so it also meant like we spent a lot of time initially playing the game trying to understand it ourselves and then trying to uh create uh, quests and events for newbie gamers and trying to help them understand what mmos are and how they should be played and things like that that's 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 super interesting like because they would have i'm presuming they would have done that anyway but they're just saying yeah. right okay we need we want somebody local to try and make it again basically like mm, yeah. it, I, I i feel like there there can't be that many differences no, really because ultimately yeah. it's you, you're learning how to play a game you, it's not gonna yes. change from country to country really yeah it um that was mostly our assessment as well <laughs> like think okay this works i don't think why we need something different but i guess then it eventually became more of a support function where you would end up um just like uh talking to a bunch of gamers and like trying to figure out what they liked what they didn't like or what they what they got what they did get and things like that in the game so where um where did you go from from there? Like, what sort of games were you playing? Were there a specific thing that you you were itching to work on, like an idea that you might have had? Uh, yeah, I think um, around that time uh, I was playing a lot of shooters actually, and uh, trying to and a lot of RPGs, uh, and I was trying to think of games where I could merge the two and make some skill based shooters or. Uh, shooters where you could uh, level up stuff and things like that and i also shortly after that i started playing deus ex and that was uh that was probably um the most amazing game during that time i think and um but just um after this job i was got my first job as a game designer uh which was for a mobile game so that was switch to a platform that i had never really played games on before what so yeah. what, what was the mobile uh it was a uh, java and brew mobiles uh so for cell phones okay and that was like a first real development design job that i had which was for creating completely whatever games from scratch but they would be for mobile games so that you're clearly not going to be able to do your narrative first person rpg on the, no on the cell phone <laughs> nope uh yeah my first game that i worked on on that uh, on mobile was a tennis game actually um uh, mario sharapova licensed tennis game or, was that good? Like, I mean, it was. I mean, obviously, it would have been a good experience, and it's all all good learning and stuff. But were you pleased with the game? Were you a fan of? Like, I genuinely think tennis games are, are some of the best sports games around. It's a shame that we don't seem to have had like a new good tennis game for a couple of years. Yeah, I think uh, I think the game was good for the platform that it was on, and the team where I was working was amazing, and they were really talented people who all had different stories of how they got into games and what they wanted to do and stuff so it was a really exciting time for me uh but i mean i really also felt that i didn't want to make uh i mean although the game was good and i enjoyed making it while i did make it but going forward i didn't want to keep making sports games because i felt that i mean it already had um you know it was just like 
something that already exists in the real world and you're trying to mimic it. It didn't feel super original to me. Um, it's also fun in its own way. Like, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out, oh, this is how the ball spins and how do you, you know, try to get that kind of feeling yeah. in, in this kind of platform. And it's also fun. But uh, at the same time, I also wanted to make stuff that wasn't based in the real world and things like that or was more abstract. And, but um, this would have meant you've got to, like, you had been around every, everybody you would have been working with would have all played games as well like what was the sort of yes. the, the hits of the office so to speak uh actually at that time uh, the company that i was working for druva interactive a lot of people there worked on um very big budget triple a racing games for bigger studios okay because uh, they would also do a lot of art, art outsourcing um, so racing games were hugely popular at that time. Uh, I think uh, racing and wrestling were the most popular games in the office. Although personally, I would play, still try to play pretty much everything. But in the office, we would all end up playing racing games and uh, a lot of Counter-Strike. Like every day there would be Counter-Strike in office after, after hours. You don't sound totally thrilled about all those choices. No, no, they, uh, it was fun. I loved play, uh, playing Counter Strike at the office. Although I would get knifed uh, <laughs> many times, and uh, then the next day at lunch, you would have to listen to people brag <laughs> about how they knifed. <laughs> but but it was fun. Um, I I enjoyed my time there. Oh, cool. So so where like were you still? playing a lot like you said you're trying to play everything so is there any sort of games that kind of again like blew your mind and sort of changed what you thought a game could be or anything uh i think around um i think around that time i was mostly playing games like burnout and uh, half-life 2 and uh, things like that i don't think I had. I mean, I always really liked uh, playing all of these games, but I don't think it really like blew my mind or anything. Yeah, I I, I say that purely because yeah. of the of the time sort of that that was like I remember that sort of time period. I'm imagining it was like early two thousands. Yeah, and there was like there was such an explosion of um, crazy ideas and and things in games that you'd never seen before you know they're like something yeah. like the classic kind of um rares and ico and, and things like that but also yeah. just like the mad dreamcast stuff like like seaman and things like that it just yeah we never really got the dreamcast here at all although yes i did play ico and that was pretty amazingly <laughs> um for me but i yeah one game I played at during that time, which really stuck with me again, was Dark Cloud 2, which was this uh, JRPG where you had to do a lot of item crafting and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, it was really good. In fact, they really recently announced uh, Dark Cloud 2 for the PS4, which would be a remastered version. And I'm super excited about that. Like, I why, wanna... why do you think that, that hit you so much? Like, beyond like were you a fan of jrpgs anyway uh actually i wasn't but that was the first jrpg i played and i got totally sucked in. i mean not the first one i played but the first one that totally sucked me in but it was uh, i really liked the item crafting system in that I, there was a thing where you could take photographs of various things and you could mix uh various photographs to create um things uh, other things so if you had uh, something with a pulley and something with an arm, when you mix the photographs of both of, them, both of those things, you would get the recipe to make something with an armed pulley or something. And if you could find the resources for it, you can make it in the game and then use it. So you could pretty much make anything from a catapult to a gun to a, you know, a robot that you could ride, mount or whatever. Oh, that seems so brilliant. It was, it, was, it was really insane, that game. Yeah. You should check it out if no, you haven't played. I, if there's a remaster coming out, I'm very excited about that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was something, and yeah, also I think Ico was uh, really really amazing, and it was 
There was also God of War, which came out around the same time. God of War was great. Yeah, it was pretty great. And it was insane, like, really um, um, action that was pretty fast-paced. And like, and uh, it just looked like I've never seen a game look that good before, I don't think. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah so I was like, whoa, this is... Games are really going in a new place. And, <laughs> and we were still making really... 16-bit looking mobile games back then so it kind of felt like uh yeah it must have been quite frustrating yeah, it was pretty frustrating so so what what did you do um i was at that time uh not in a very good financial situation because uh, game jobs weren't paying very well yeah so uh in india uh, it was really 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 bad paying job but we were doing it everyone who was doing it was doing it because they wanted to make games and so i had to actually move back to my home so this job was in a different city okay. uh, i had to move back to my home city and like take up uh, another job which was slightly better paying but was kind of more of the same like uh, licensed games and um uh, mostly games that were based on Bollywood movies or sports or something like that and got super frustrating. And in 2006, I started thinking of uh, setting up my own studio uh, because by that time, uh, this new company where I was working for, I had already like set up the whole team there with all of my friends from all various studios who were all uh, making games and we had an amazing team and we were making games from start to finish and I knew that I could do it uh, yeah. myself if I had to so um, I was uh, toying with the idea of starting my own studio in 2006 and in 2007 I started uh, Yellow Monkey and that must have been quite a like that's quite bold, like especially when you're saying you know that the the pay for game dev jobs wasn't great. Like that that must have been quite a thing. And and did the, your team sort of come with you as well? Um, one friend of mine came with me, and uh, one programmer um, friend who still works with me actually. He um, decided to help us from the outside, and we started making our very first game from yellow monkey which was a point-and-click adventure game for the nintendo ds that is amazing uh, that you finally yeah. got to make your point-and-click game well well we did and we didn't we started working on the game and we got uh, we designed all the puzzles and characters and locations did concept art and we did made a prototype and everything we got a publisher in canada and we were super thrilled and we got certification from Nintendo for being a developer. And uh, I don't think anyone in India had got, done all of those things at that time. And we were majorly thrilled. But like in 2008, financial crisis, our publisher went bankrupt. Oh, no. Yeah. And we could never uh, finish that game. That's weird, actually. Now you mentioned that. I don't remember there being... I mean, I suppose Phoenix Wright kind of counts, but I don't really remember there being point-and-click adventure yeah. games on the DS, and that seems like a perfect platform yeah. for them. There were a few. There was Phoenix Wright. There was... Um, I can't remember the name now, but there were a few. And, but most of them ended up being very gimmicky. Like, oh, we can do this thing where you scratch on the screen and you uncover dust from uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. item and, like, you close the thing you to stamp, uh, to take an impression of the key, you close the DS. And, like, there were a lot of very gimmicky things going on. But uh, there, were very, there was this uh, Professor Layton. Uh, oh, of game. course, yeah, the Professor Layton games. Yeah, that was really nice. And... Uh, I think there was also, I'm not sure whether the puzzle agent was on DS or not. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but anyway, there were a few, there were a few interesting takes on point and click, which was moving them in different directions. Like Phoenix Wright took it in a, a narrative direction, and uh, I think Layton took it in a puzzle direction. They were both quite nice, but ours was a little bit more classic, like logical puzzles and funny uh, world and uh, things like that. 
but but we never got to finish it because our publisher just went belly up and no one else wanted to take on the game because the DS was already on it on on a down uh, downward. That must have been heartbreaking. It was wrecking, and we had spent almost a year and a half uh, on the game, and then we spent the next six months trying to look for new publishers or investors for the game, and we couldn't get anything, and we almost had to shut down at that time. Uh, but uh, my then partner uh, in the company, he decided that he had to grow up and uh, get married and get a job, and <laughs> so, <laughs> so we we parted ways, but... I mean, in a, we're still very good friends, and yeah, he's, an yeah. amazing, he's an amazing guy. Uh, so yeah, then there was me, and I had the choice of like going back to a company or carrying on, and I decided to carry on. <laughs> and uh, I got my programmer to join the company full time, and we uh, got a, we decided that we need to stop de- depending on uh, publishers, especially since digital downloads were, were happening yeah. uh, on iOS. Uh, in 2008, the App Store was just kind of opening up. So we said, fine, let's try and do our own games on iOS. And uh, we got a, but we had, I had completely run out of all of my savings and because anyways, there weren't, there wasn't much of it. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was, it was all gone and all the publisher, I mean, we never really saw any money from the publisher anyway. They went bankrupt before they could pay us. So uh, we got a bunch of clients and uh, one was in the US, one was in Hong Kong and one was in India. And we started uh, doing games for them, understanding the iOS pipeline and just uh, building up some cash reserves. And I think in 2010, we started making our own games again for iOS. That that must have felt brilliant. So, I, I mean, like I have, I, it's, it's such a, a bold thing to do. Like what, 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 what do you think made you sort of stick with it as, as much as you did? Uh, I think I'm just an idiot, I guess. <laughs> I, I think I'm just stupid. I, I, I'm just very stubborn and I don't want to give up. And I also feel that if I, if I, I feel pretty worthless if I don't make stuff, like I constantly want to make stuff, whether it's, uh, whether it's games or if it's like small little weird stuff that I do with my hands, like crafts or whether it's food, I I constantly want to like make stuff. So I I don't like working on uh, games that are like, already based on, uh, you know, uh, IP or based on pre-existing stuff. So I, I like to find something new. Um, so I've always I've made peace with the fact that this is what I'm going to do. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to stick with it. So yeah. w- were there, like, were there a lot of other studios, like like smaller studios? I mean, because there were so few when you, you were younger. So... I know that during the sort of, especially with the app store and stuff, there was a lot of kind of smaller indie devs that popped up. So were you still kind of out on your own or were there a few other people? I think in 2007 is the year that uh, Meat Boy and Braid came out and the big indie revolution started happening. But I think in India, uh, it was still, it's still not that common. uh, but uh, in 2007, when we started off doing iOS, there were maybe a handful of other companies. So I think by that time, there were maybe 10 or 15 companies doing games in India. And uh, the big three were still there, I guess, the ones who were uh, who were around when I was uh, looking for my first job. They were still there, and then maybe there were a handful of more companies doing games. But uh, that's grown a lot since then, like... Now there are probably hundreds of them, uh, if not, yeah. That definitely. must be. I mean, you must feel quite. I mean, you were you were a, a trailblazer, you know, <laughs> forging a path for others to follow. I don't know if uh, that was the intention, but I, <laughs> I guess we just wanted to make games, and I guess whatever happened has happened because it's just been that way. <laughs> so, what was the what was the the sort of first game that you're able to do just completely? alone 
Yeah, so we had about four months of money for ourselves and the 2010 Football World Cup was coming up and we tried to make a football game, which is a very stupid idea because we decided to release it during a big football event. I don't know what we were thinking. Obviously, <laughs> obviously Electronic Arts and everyone was going to release their FIFA and everything. And Anyway, we made this game called Finger Putty which was uh, like um, a game for iOS, which was uh, more like sensible soccer, like uh, top view style. Yeah. Uh, because we weren't happy with most of the soccer games at that time were like um, uh, ports of PSP games. So they would end up having like this soft joypad or gamepad drawn on the screen. And yeah, it's always a bad idea. Yeah, that that really didn't feel natural. So we made this swipe-based soccer game where you could touch any player in the formation to take control of him, drag him around, and like uh, swipe to pass the ball or shoot or you know touch another player when you're in possession to pass the ball to that player. And just like the control scheme was quite nice, but the game lacked polish because we just had like four months to do it. Yeah. Uh, but we somehow we put it out. We made a, I think we made thousand dollars or something, maybe, uh, not not a lot of money. And uh, we continued doing our client work, and we saw how how difficult it is to get your own game noticed. Yeah, totally. I and mean, yeah. this is something that's come up quite a lot. Um, is you know, I don't know how old you are. I imagine you're sort of in your thirties, similar yeah. to me. So yeah, you would growing up you know you play everything because there was only a limited number of games but now there's just so much yes. there's probably hundreds of brilliant games that I'll never yeah. get to play and it's exactly. it's, a, it's, a, it's a real tricky thing because there's going to be more and more people making games and it's it's so difficult to to find things you know like the, the how you, how how to organize all the games coming out is still I don't think anyone's cracked that yet yeah, it's it's a huge problem and we had never really faced it in the same way because we just thought, okay, we have this game, we're going to put it out and it's the Football World Cup and I'm sure someone will be interested in like, you know, co-branding with us and we can make some money or something. Yeah. None of that happened, obviously, because <laughs> it was all about EA and stuff and uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, back then uh, we could pretty much at least if not play everything, at least keep an eye out for everything. Yeah, totally. All we needed to do was just go on GameSpot and see every other, you know, major release that's coming up. And then there were smaller games that were reviewed by some other websites. But now there was this just flow of games because of the App Store and, like, there was no way to know uh, what games were coming out. We did try to get some press uh, we didn't know if, the, if that would help we did do some press releases and stuff like that but it really made uh, almost no difference but i was quite convinced that that was what was going to help us get noticed and we were the next game we made was a way more experimental weird game yeah. called called it's just a thought which was uh, this um, uh, uh, it was like a journey of a thought in your mind and uh, your mind was depicted by this infinite neural network which would get like uh, which would get complexity based on what mood you were in and the mood would be decided by the thoughts you would merge with so each thought had a color and that color would denote the mood, and when you merged into it, you would change the level, uh, which was the neural neural network. And that sounds insane. It was really weird, and <laughs> people always asked me, like, what were you smoking when you made this game? And I was like, nothing. It was just like this weird idea we had. And I think uh, it was interesting because we made this and we sent it out to a lot of festivals. Um, yeah. And I think um, it was, uh, again, we made a very foolish mistake of releasing it around the holiday season because that's when a lot of games release. And again, we've learned everything by making the mistakes. Well, it's all a learning experience then. That's fine. 
Yeah, and we launched it and not much happened. But I think the IMGA jury uh, thing, uh, I think um, Eli Hodap from Touch Arcade was one of the jury members. And I think he um, tweeted about an article he wrote, which was uh, cool games that got crushed by the holiday season, big releases. And uh, I think uh, that feature, we were one of the games that was that were covered in that uh, and that got us a feature on uh, that that ended up getting us some attention and I think that attention kind of got us a feature in some stores in on Apple in some regions oh, in, cool. in Europe and stuff and um, that was the first time we made some money from our own game like uh, it wasn't a lot it was maybe like five or six thousand dollars but that was still way more than what we made from finger footy so uh and at the same time uh, we applied to other festivals and we got uh, invited to a festival in spain called hopeley and um, it was uh, we won uh, best original idea there for our game and it was the first time i to my knowledge that anybody had won anyone from india had gone and won an indie whatever festival thing that must have felt great. Uh, it felt amazing. I think that was one of the highest points I'd had as a, after starting my studio. And it just felt like, okay, this is all worth it. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, so then there was a little bit of cash uh, from the price and from all the money we made from the game. We had enough to invest um, a good chunk um, of time into our next game. Uh, so which I think we spent about a year on that game. And uh, that was a puzzle game called Hubrix, uh, which was uh, this game about dragging paths on empty grids and completely filling the grid out. And uh, yeah, that, that uh, game came out in 2012 and it did fairly well for us. Uh, it was featured by Apple and Google and it, uh, it, it was uh, rated very well. I think it has 76 on Metacritic or something. I don't know exactly. Yeah. I don't check it all the time. I don't check it all the time. <laughs> I think it has 76. <laughs> no, but it was, um, yeah, it was uh, a creative uh, satisfaction for me because I really thought that uh, as um, I really wanted to make a game that was completely original and approachable um, for anyone to play, yeah. not necessarily gamers. And I felt that Hubrix was uh, at least uh, a decent attempt at making that kind of game. It's not a casual game because it's fairly, I mean, it can get fairly tricky because it's a puzzle game, uh, but it's approachable. Anybody can start playing it. And then if they don't like it, well, they can quit. But it's uh, it's... It doesn't put anybody off just looking at the game. So, so is that enabled you to kind of just carry on now with that? Are you still, are you starting to get frustrated by the the size? Like, have you still got your your first person RPG in your head that you you want to make? Not anymore, actually. I think I've realized. Uh, I mean, I've, I've. It's not like I still would like to make something that's uh, much larger in scale. But I think we don't have the financial means to make that kind of game right now. So we've just been inching away, increasing our production values, increasing our scope with each game. Um, so it, I think Hubrix was much better than it's just a thought. And then after Hubrix, we did Sociaball, which was more polished than Hubrix. And now we're working on a PC console local multiplayer game which is uh, also way better than anything we've made so far. So I think I'm happy with the fact that we are improving with every game in, in, in our quality and in our gameplay and fun and everything. So oh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's some wonderful sort of story, it, yeah, yeah because, because it's so tricky. Like, and after you know, setting up this company and getting this like, awful uh, collapse of this game that you've been building, like, it's, it's amazing to... 
it's a testament to your sort of perseverance that you're still able to just keep inching away and getting better and better and do you feel like yeah this is something i i haven't really spoken to anyone about but as someone who's making made a lot of games for ios like were there specific games on that that just completely blew your mind and changed what you thought was possible Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I think on iOS, um, I really um, was amazed by the kind of games that Simogo made. Um, they are this two-man team from Malmo, and they, they made uh, this game called... Well, the very first game of theirs I played was this very cool rhythm game called Beat Sneak Bandit. Um, if you like music games, you should totally check it out. It's, I, 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 like, I was desperate to play that, and I, uh, I didn't love it as much as I thought I would. Ah, okay, okay. And it's a shame because, like, I'm, I always say that it's there's a real lack of um, rhythm games on iOS, and it could it's such the perfect platform for them. Yeah, yeah. Like, just so. some sort of rhythm heaven knockoff would be ideal, but nobody seems yeah. to have done it yet. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's coming though. I think someone is working on it somewhere. They have to be. They have to be. <laughs> I have a feeling. <laughs> but they, the one they made after that, just like really blew my mind. It was a game called Device Six, which was uh, this weird little survival story-based game, but um, mostly told through text and puzzles and all the text was actually arranged in like this weird geographical topographical fashion which depicted the area where you were in while you were reading that area it's uh, really really nice. have you have you played device six i don't think i have no i'm gonna check that out you should check it out it's it's really amazing like this there'll be a long line of text when you're reading a part about walking through a corridor and there'll be the steps the text will be staggered when you're reading about a staircase ah, okay cool it's just like so beautifully presented it's uh, and it has amazing music and it was just such a great experience and it kind of taught me that you could tell uh, you could do so much so many different and so much more with like even on a even on a platform like iOS which doesn't seem like uh, very conducive to doing experimental stuff yeah i mean it's weird like thinking about it now like originally getting the iphone there was so many games i played and, and there, there seemed to be like a peak but now probably for the last year or two i don't remember the last time i downloaded a, a, an ios game mm. and i'm certain that there's probably some of the best stuff that has come out but for some reason it's just i don't know the it's not talked about as much i don't feel yeah also i think um, more and more the uh, I think uh, the older generation of gamers, I guess, would tend to go to websites and get their games and get their know-how about games from websites. But I think I think iOS works very differently because the press really doesn't matter so much in the sales. So a lot of developers don't really even bother so much with trying to get press. And uh, it just means that if you make a good game and you get um, at least for paid games, if you can, uh, if you can get on the front page of the of the store, then you know people will know about you. Otherwise, you're just forgotten. <laughs> so, what what are you doing in Copenhagen now? Then are you just there on a sort of contract job? Yeah, I'm working on a, on a for a few months with uh, Cape Copenhagen on contract, and uh, then I go back and continue. I mean, I'm also working on my own games uh, on the side. We are working on um, uh, a local multiplayer game uh, about flying carpets. Uh, the game is currently called Sky Sutra, and uh, we are trying to make it for PC and consoles. Uh, yeah. So I feel like we're at a, a, a natural conclusion, but just in case um, there's any games that we haven't brought up that you wanted to mention. Mm, any games? Uh, like um, games that I played that I really liked? Yeah, just things that stick out in your head as being like, you know, representative of a certain time or place or feeling. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I can think of anything right now, but I also, um, 
Yeah, I think I pretty much got. I think, uh, yeah, among the games I also have really enjoyed and didn't mention uh, probably The Longest Journey, which was also a point-and-click adventure, but very kind of photorealistic. And uh, I think the first one was really, really good. I, I, I was a big fan of that one. And among, like, one of my old school really favorite games again was operation flashpoint which i played uh, when i was in college and again that was super hard but it was so fulfilling and satisfying that i wish um, someday i can <laughs> make a game like that once again like uh, i don't think the current uh, crop of shooters do justice to the kind of games that existed before then i think they're they're going down a very different path yeah no they definitely are um but there's i guess the new thief didn't really uh, do anything for you yeah it, it uh, oh my god <laughs> it was so so bad <laughs> um well this has been uh terrific thanks very much for for coming on i'll i'll edit it all together so we can get the the dodgy drops and stuff here and there but that was brilliant are you are you pleased are you okay with that yeah i think i'm okay i mean if you're okay with it i'm okay with it <laughs> I, I i hope it was 